Welcome to the Solidarity Winnipeg podcast. Solidarity Winnipeg is working to lay the basis for an eco-socialist political organization. By that, we mean we are a small group of like-minded people who work in a coordinated way in community groups, in unions, and on campuses to build grassroots power, to educate people, to be effective eco-socialist organizers, and to build support for the long-term goal of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition to eco-socialism. Because Winnipeg is located on Treaty 1 territory, we acknowledge that Treaty 1 is the homeland of Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, Dene peoples, and the Métis Nation. The Canadian state has carried out genocide, ethnic cleansing, and forced removal of Indigenous people in order to clear the land for settlement by Europeans. The colonization and oppression of Indigenous peoples is not a thing of the past, it continues today. But around the world, Indigenous peoples are leaders in the fight against capitalism and environmental destruction. We have a lot to learn from Indigenous cultures and teachings that will help us heal our relationship with the land and with each other. So I'm going to share some thoughts about the topic of how to build a political organization. But before I talk about the how, I want to talk about the why. So Solidarity Winnipeg's mission talks about working to lay the basis for a political organization that works in and with other groups. So what kind of organization are we talking about here? And by political organization, I mean, as a shorthand, an organization of eco-socialist organizers. In other words, a group of people who work together to advance the struggle for the long-term goal of eco-socialism because they agree that eco-socialism is possible, necessary, and worth fighting for no matter what the odds. So we're talking about a group of people who act in the present in ways, however small, that are intended to in some way build the collective power of the working class, broadly understood. And by that, I mean the working class really is everyone who sells their ability to work in exchange for a wage and doesn't have much management authority, plus all the people that would live in their households who aren't working for a wage but are dependent on those incomes. So whether people's income is high or low, if that's what you're doing, you're, you're part of the working class. Um, it's not certainly not just blue collar workers, for example. Um, and working class power is really important. It's key to any future possibility of breaking with capitalism and starting a transition towards eco-socialism. So the kind of organization that I'm talking about should foster the knowledge and skills of every member so they can become independent thinking eco-socialist organizers. If you want to read about the kind of eco-socialism that Solidarity Winnipeg supports, one article you might want to check out online is by Michael Lowy, that's L-O-W-Y. It's called Why Eco-Socialism for a Red-Green Future. It's not an official Solidarity Winnipeg policy, uh, but it's um, a really good reading that we've distributed in the past. So the kind of political organization that I'm talking about uh, would be different from uh, the kind of organization like a political party that treats elections as the key to changing society, even if the politics of that organization are, are radical uh, in terms of the demands. Uh, the kind of political organization that I'm going to be talking about treats struggles of mass social movements as the key to making change, not elections. So we're talking about extra parliamentary politics, not politics focused on uh, the electoral system. Now, there has not been a small but serious and non-sectarian socialist political organization in Winnipeg for a very, very long time. Um, 
So when I say non-sectarian, I'm saying different from a sectarian group. A sectarian group is one that treats its own particular interests as more important than advancing struggles and organizing. Um, so there hasn't been a, a group like that um, in Winnipeg for a very long time. And so very few people realize what one could actually do. And that's not just a Winnipeg problem. That's certainly a problem in lots of cities. Uh, if you're interested in the question of why there's no such group here, we can certainly talk about that in the discussion. Now, the kind of small political organization that Solidarity Winnipeg wants to lay the basis for could do things that unions, broader groups devoted to community and campus organizing and so on can't do. So in Winnipeg right now, we have groups like Communities Not Cuts, the Manitoba Energy Justice Coalition, Winnipeg Police Cause Harm, and others. And those are all important organizations. We need those kinds of organizations. But a political organization can do things that those kinds of broader groups can't do. And the kind of political organization that we're talking about could also do things that individual socialists who might be active in groups like the ones I've mentioned can't do by themselves either. So we need both kinds of organizations. We need political organizations committed to eco-socialism. So those are politically narrower. And then we also need broader organizations like work in the workplace uh, and as well in community and, and campus organizing, which we can call social movement organizations. We talked about that, those kinds of organizations at the last Solidarity Winnipeg Educational. So a political organization could unite people who share a common eco-socialist vision so that we can do a number of things. One is to educate ourselves in a common politics and analyze what's going on around us. Two, to, we can promote those ideas to other people, arguing for an understanding of how society works and how it could ultimately be transformed. Three, we can train ourselves and other people to be radical organizers for change, people who constructively work to advance today's efforts to resist the attacks that we face and to fight for reforms, but to do those things in a way that points in the direction of the kind of militant mass social movements that are ultimately needed to win real gains. And for to a political organization, we can cooperate so we can learn from others, be more effective builders of the other groups and campaigns in which we're active, and sometimes help create new ones. So groups that organize around specific issues, whether that those issues be you know, the climate or poverty, whatever it might be, those social movement organizations often rise and fall along with the level of struggle. But a political organization can provide continuity, sharing the lessons of past experiences with people today in order to help make organizing and struggles stronger. To be clear, socialist organizers can't bring a mass movement into existence on their own, but organized groups of radicals have always played key roles in guiding, supporting, and developing these broader upsurges whenever they've occurred. So that's about why we need to build a political organization. Let's talk about how. So my assumption is that we need to have a multi-city socialist organization. In fact, we need one that's linked to like-minded groups in other countries too. Unfortunately, though, none of the existing small multi-city groups in Canada are adequate. And so that puts socialists in a position where we have to organize local groups and work together as much as possible until an adequate multi-city group can be created. And we can discuss this in, in discussion if people are interested in that problem. So Solidarity Winnipeg is not yet a local political organization. That's why we talk about our mission as trying to lay the basis 
for a political organization. What would a group need in order to actually be a political organization of the kind that we're talking about? Really, there are three key dimensions. The first, it needs a clear understanding of the common politics that unite its members, sufficient to guide common actions in a coherent way in the here and now, and at least the near future. You need a shared understanding in a political organization to provide a framework for discussing and debating differences. Without that shared understanding, a group will fragment. So the group needs to have a common understanding of questions like, or how it answers questions like, what kind of society are we fighting for? What's our context? In other words, how is the society that we're trying to change actually structured? Because of course, early 21st century Canada is vastly different from say, early 20th century Russia. In broad terms, what would be required to get to what we're fighting for? And how can we translate our socialist theory or strategic approach into practice in the here and now? So people need a broad common understanding of answers to those questions. That's the first element. The second is that people need some experience working together, putting their politics into practice to test whether they really do share common politics, not just in, in word, but in deed. And three, a group needs a core group of committed people who are willing and able to devote time to the project in a consistent way. Not every member is going to be part of that core group at a given time, and that's okay. But unless you have enough people with that shared understanding who make that kind of commitment, a group can't function as an organization of eco-socialist organizers. It's not about ranking members in an elitist or hierarchical way. It's just recognizing the practical reality. You need that core group of committed pe people. So those are three features that a group needs to have to be a political organization in the sense that I'm talking about. I'd like to take it further. In order to be a really effective political organization, what does a group need to be like? Well, there are a number of other features. It needs to be able to do political education, which is quite different from academic education. It's inevitable that members are going to have different kinds and levels of political knowledge, different skills and experiences. So the group has to be able to consciously foster members' political development to make the group more effective. Political development will also make a group more democratic because more members will then feel that they're able to develop proposals and take part in discussions. The whole goal here should be to have a leader-full organization, not a leaderless organization. To be effective, you need members who've earned respect with other organizers in spite of political disagreements because they've shown themselves through their actions to be serious and trustworthy. So that's about building political relationships. A group needs to be democratic, so members are accountable to each other. This is vital to be able to make better decisions and learn from mistakes, which are inevitable, and generally to be smarter and stronger. The group to be effective needs a culture which is welcoming to new members and which understands the difference between being a political group and being a group of friends. You don't want to be a group of friends because that becomes a clique. Uh, and the whole point is that you want to welcome people into the group who are sharing its politics and want to work on the project together, regardless of whether they happen to be friends or uh, have any other interests in common. As someone once said, you don't have to be friends to be comrades. And the whole point is you don't want an organization of people who are all similar to, to each other in terms of their, you know, their interests and their you know, age and, and so on. You want a group which is more diverse than that, certainly not a group of friends. 
but a group of people who share a common political commitment, some of whom may be friends. Uh, a group to be effective needs a culture which is mutually supportive and mutually respectful, um, but in which people also learn to, uh, to argue with each other in a constructive way uh, without trashing each other. We need to find ways to express political disagreements constructively. And I think it's also really important to cultivate a culture which is serious, but also imbued with a spirit of, a spirit of revolutionary humility. In other words, that takes the work seriously, but has a real sense that uh, the group is small, the group is flawed, uh, the group's inevitably going to make mistakes and does not have all the answers, but nevertheless is going to be serious about the work that it does. Having a sense of proportion and a sense of humor about it all is really vital. To be a group like that with these kinds of features requires consciously unlearning habits and attitudes that we pick up in the dominant culture and in academia, for example, uh, attitudes about uh, being competitive, always looking um, for disagreements, underappreciating practical knowledge. These are all problems that people um, pick up from the culture of academia. It also means uh, consciously doing things differently from what uh, we often find in social media, you know, rapid fire dismissals, sniping, uh, inflating mistakes and unforgivable sins and other vices. So it means consciously trying to do things differently. An effective group is one which has clear positive expectations for how members behave, how they conduct themselves, um, and a culture and procedures which foster accountability. And a group also needs to be ultimately at least somewhat reflective of the genuine diversity of the working class. So those are all, I think, things to bear in mind if we're thinking about the some of the qualities of an effective political organization. So just to come back to the, the basics, if we wanna build a political organization, we need to work on all the three tasks that I mentioned, clarifying our politics, getting experience, putting those politics into practice and assembling a core group of people who are committed to the project. Now, the logical way of doing this would be to, to work on all those things before you actually form a more structured public group. In the history of the socialist tradition, sometimes this has been called an organizing committee. But Solidarity Winnipeg's in an odd situation. The group was formed prematurely, without political clarity, without shared experience, and without a core group. It was a serious mistake. Um, but it's evolved into what it is now, a group trying to lay the basis for a political organization. I want to say something about the reasons why socialist political organizations in Canada today are so few and weak. It's not that socialists are stupid or lazy or anything like that. We have to start by understanding the conditions in our society and particularly the fact that the level of social struggle has been, for the most part, really low. There have certainly been exceptions. For example, in Quebec in 2012, the enormous movement of students uh, that grew into uh, a broader anti-neoliberal movement, and was, that was a real exception. Uh, but Experience in a mass social movement or even a smaller social movement is really the best teacher. And with the low level of social struggle, there haven't been many opportunities for those experiences. And because of that, then without much in the way of social struggle, uh, it's been difficult for people to come to the conclusion that another world is possible, right? Um, conditions in society have not pushed people to believe that another world is possible and that committing to uh, fight for that long-term goal is is worth doing. As the saying goes, it's harder to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. 
in these conditions, the radical left has been very marginal. Uh, if you're interested in, in thinking about that, there's a really good uh, little article you can read online by Steve Darcy called The Intractable Marginality of the Activist Left, which you can find on his website, publicautonomy.org. In that article, Steve Darcy writes, blaming the activist left for its own marginality is like blaming the dead fish when a pond dries up after years of catastrophic drought. We should bear that in mind. It's also true that there's no version of socialist politics that has really broad credibility among leftists today. And that's because the three main traditions of 20th century socialism have all been discredited. Uh, the first social democracy or the so-called parliamentary road to socialism, which the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, the ancestor of the NDP once stood for. The second is Stalinism. And the third is third world nationalism, uh, national liberation politics. All those traditions have been largely discredited. And so uh, in their wake, no other version of socialist politics has come to, had, come to have broad credibility and that's a barrier. We also need to realize that there are some socialists who are busy doing good work, building social movement organizations, being active in unions and in other places, and they feel they don't have the time to also work building a political organization. And um, there have been some attempts by socialists to build political organizations, but um, those projects have been done in ways which lack some of the understanding of, of how to do it effectively. So a number of years ago, there was a quite promising initiative called the Front d'Action Socialiste, or Socialist Action Front in Quebec, but it unfortunately um, didn't really go very far and, and folded because of some of that um, missing understanding, I think. And we can think about how, how that's connected to a weakness of intergenerational organizing. There are very few socialists who've been able to both gain useful theoretical and practical knowledge and transmit it to the next generation of socialists understanding both that they have valuable knowledge, but also that they're not right about everything and don't have all the answers. So there's a lot of reinventing the wheel that happens. And then just one last point to mention is that most of the existing political organizations are, are sectarian, and that sometimes um, deters people from wanting to build a political organization because they, they give the whole idea a bad name. So just to wrap up, if we wanna build uh, an organization of eco-socialist organizers, the three key things we need to do are clarify our politics, assemble a core group of people who are committed to those politics and to the project of building a political organization, and third, get experience putting our politics into practice together. Not necessarily in that order, but those are the three key things. Hello, everyone, and thank you to David from the past for that recording about how to build a political organization. I, Posey, am here with David of the present and Robbie. Robbie, you want to say hi? Hi. And we're going to talk about how to build a political organization a bit more. One of my main questions was, I guess, the relationship between social movement organizations and political organizations. Because when I was listening to it, I was thinking to myself, if I wasn't in Winnipeg and there was a, already something trying to build a political organization here, uh, or if I was living in another city or a smaller city, 
what would I do to find the people, <laughs> um, to find like-minded people, right? Because obviously online is, is one world, but if you're looking at finding people locally in real life who share your politics or share your politics enough to talk about it, to clarify main issues, um, how do you do that? Because my, my first thought was, well, you know, in social movement organizations, that's often where you find those people. Um, but I don't know if you have other ideas, either of you, on that issue. I think that, uh, you know, for people outside of Winnipeg, where there's no project like Solidarity Winnipeg, then, you know, people who happen to share these kinds of politics who might be involved in in other kinds of groups can always get together and start a study group. I think that's, uh, you know, an important thing for people to do. And I would hope that anybody, you know, listening in other city, in other city would, would think about doing that so that there could be more activists and organizers who would get together to uh, try to clarify their politics about big picture, long-term strategic kinds of questions. And, perhaps hook up with like-minded groups in other places. Um, I think that's, that's, I think where we're at in, in Canada these days, just oh. for people who, for people who aren't satisfied with the existing multi-city organizations. Yes, definitely. Cause something I was also thinking about is when you mentioned, you know, there's an academic culture of learning and there's an online culture of sniping and being right. Um, Though sometimes online is great. I don't want to hate on online. But I find that in person, it's actually kind of different where when people are actually forced to talk face to face to each other, they have a tendency, in my experience, to just agree. And it's actually kind of harder to disagree. Um, when you're talking to people in person, it's really easy to disagree online. And I don't even say it's easy or hard to disagree in academia, but usually of the distance of you're talking about someone's paper and their in the past or their, you know what I mean? That that's a, that's a different relationship as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's just my perspective or if you have similar perspectives. I think it's an interesting point that uh, sometimes there is that, that dynamic, um, and, uh, you know, people, there may be a culture of conflict avoidance um, that people engage in, although certainly that's not always the case in, uh, in activist and organizing groups. But I think trying to foster a culture where people actually do debate in comradely ways is important because, yeah, it's, it's not a good choice to be either engaged in conflict avoidance and avoiding debate or in really hostile, uh, you know, ways of expressing disagreements. So there have to be ways where people can say, well, we agree, we share this common political framework, but we, because of that, because of our commitment to actually doing better and winning, uh, we're going to debate about questions that matter. And sometimes those will be sharp debates, but we're going to debate and then test our ideas in practice and uh, see. But it's important to have a sense of proportion about that and not uh, treat minor issues as if they're like, you know, issues about betraying the revolution or something. Um, but, you know, that's, I think the more that people are inexperienced and don't, yeah, don't ha haven't been through struggles, um, then it's, 
harder to have that sense of proportion and and recognize that you know to build movements and struggles you actually do have to debate the, the real world will throw up all sorts of challenges um, and people only le- really learn through trying and doing and arguing about it and learning lessons from that and and going forward that way yeah so uh, another question i had was sort of about the relationship that uh, uh, that socialist groups ought to have with um with reformist parties like of course uh solidarity winnipeg were laying the basis for a socialist organization we're not one yet and uh we can't we don't we're too small to really have any relation with uh with them any working together or 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 any influence to denounce them as if that would do anything but what what is uh, what's the sort of approach we should take? So, say to the NDP, yeah, right. Okay, so I think the thing is to start with having a political analysis of what it is, and uh, you know, there's a, you can make a pretty good case that it's what you could call a pro-capitalist workers' party, or at least a pro-capitalist party which has connections to the union officialdom. Uh, and union institutions and and some union activists, um, but and understanding that's a, a contradictory phenomenon, right? Because it's clearly a pro capitalist party. It's not just a pro capitalist party; it's a, now a pro capitalist party that's accepted neoliberalism and limits its vision for reforms to what's acceptable to within those neoliberal parameters. But it's not, you know, I think not. not it's not simply that. It's it is different from the Liberal Party in its is social base and the fact that it doesn't have any kind of organic connections to the capitalist class. It's not, uh, you know, doesn't have those kinds of relationships. Um, you know, there, there are comrades who might debate that and argue that it now is simply a capitalist party like others, but that's the first question is to talk that through, think about that. Um, and then, you know, of course, there's the question of how you work with people in practice, and there's all sorts of situations where, uh, of course, you know, in unions and in other in community settings, you end up working with NDPers and NDP supporters uh, around the immediate issues and struggles. And there, it's about I think just trying to do that in a, a non-sectarian way, where you can, you know, don't let that person's organizational affiliation or electoral preference be a barrier to participating in the in the struggle, but that doesn't mean that you have to in any way agree with their with their politics. Um, so it's that kind of art of what someone once called uh, working with and against. You need to work with with people to advance struggles and against the their politics to the extent that the politics hold things back. And but to do that well, you actually have to build political relationships with people, uh, you know, real people over time, and uh, that's 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 important to do. And hopefully, if you do that too, you'll have more of an opportunity to talk about the limits of the NDP and the need for an alternative. Does that kind of get at what you were asking? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. I. Th- uh, when you mentioned about like working with people uh, you know, who might be members of the NDP, it reminded me of uh, I think it was a year and a bit ago. Um, 
where uh, you know some of us attended uh, a, a demonstration against the coup in Bolivia. That was, I believe, it was also uh, uh, in solidarity with the uh, protesters in Chile. And uh, one of the speakers there was, uh, I believe, Leia Gazan, who is a member of the NDP. Uh, she's, uh, I think, very much on the left side of it. And I think, you know, obviously she's a politician. I don't know anything about her, but I think people like her, you know, working with them would be a, is a way that you could probably win some of them over. Sort yeah, of. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure that we're going to convince you know an MP uh, <laughs> to commit to uh, the kind of eco-socialism that we support. But I absolutely agree with you about working with people. The key is just you can work together without losing your political independence. And people often uh, get confused about that and think that somehow if you're working with someone that you're contaminated. Uh, you know that if you work with certain people, you'll be uh, yeah be smirched by their politics. Um, but that's a recipe for, for isolation and for irrelevance. Um, but then, of course, it's, it is possible to work with people and hide your politics, dilute your politics, or be, you know, pulled in their direction. And the key is to ne neither of those things, right? You want to engage and work with people while just being very clear about what your politics are and where you agree and where you disagree. And knowing that, you know, if you're working to build a demonstration or build a campaign, arguing about the, you know, historic failings of social democracy is probably not the debate you want to be having in that organizing meeting, right? Um, but there are other places and other times where you do want to have that argument to try to win somebody over who's, you know, got one foot in uh, socialist politics and hasn't got the other foot out of social democracy yet. I think a lot of social democracy lovers, in my experience, it's not even that they're convinced that's the best option they just aren't convinced that anything else is a better option that's my experience so if you can be persuasive that there are better and different ways or at least trying <laughs> at those ways um that's a that's an easier conversation than some other conversations um yeah. easier to talk to those people than liberals in my in my in my experience other people might disagree um yeah, because at least they kind of envision a, a world that's more similar to the, the world I envision. It's just the, the getting there it problem. Um, so in our, I have another question. In our interview with Brian um, last, last episode, the advice he gave for, you know, a sign that an organization or a, a union or a social movement, or I think it was more, more broad, um, a sign that it's maybe not working as if it can't learn, which I thought was great advice. And I've been thinking about that quite a bit. Um, I was wondering if there's any other warning signs you may have, David, from your long experience of being in different organizations um, and many that it seems have failed or dissipated. What what tends to happen and how can you prevent those problems? Well, what you know, what Brian was talking about was in the context of you know broader organizations, right? Like unions and community organizing groups. Um, although I think you can make that same point about political organizations that um, 
it's important for socialist political organizations to also be learning and they can develop real problems when they're incapable of self-critical reflection and and development so that's i think a point that is just as equally true here um, when we're talking about efforts to build political organizations and uh yeah i think there's there are all sorts of ways in which uh groups that are formed around a dogmatic commitment to a certain set of inherited politics or and a certain inherited way of organizing uh, can have great difficulty in actually developing in response to real struggles and uh, that that can be a, a significant problem so I think that that point is is worth thinking about um, I mean the lots of other potential problems you can have in building a political organization, but that um, that the need to have that, you know, combination of having a clear commitment to a set of politics um, that you can organize with, but a commitment to you know, a recognition of their limits, you know, revolutionary humility, and the need to be able to actually learn from your, from your activities uh, as you, as you go. And also, in a bigger picture way, develop your political understanding of important questions um, that aren't short-term practical questions, but questions about the nature of a particular form of oppression or the, the condition of the working class or something like that. Does that get at what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I was also just kind of trying to, to think about because you also mentioned in the in the audio before this that you know you can't necessarily blame groups for how small the left and the organized left is in Canada, right? Like there's all these external factors and context that contribute to the marginality of the left. Um, but there are also you know reasons why groups fail on their own that are internal. That's, that's true. And I mean, I guess the starting point always has to be remembering that, you know, small socialist organizations uh, are so influenced by the context that we're in. And if you don't start with that, uh, then there could be a really sh quick move towards people blaming each other for the failings of a small group. And I just think that's really important to avoid because uh, and people can end up accusing other members of not working hard enough. And if only you did this, if only we did that, we would be growing or thriving. Um, and clearly, that's a recipe for you know either self-destruction or building a group that becomes really inhospitable to people. Um, but that doesn't mean that uh, there aren't clearly much better and much worse ways, uh, you know, methods for trying to build a socialist political organization. And the part of the problem is that a lot of the lessons learned from positive experiences in the past have been lost because of the, the breakdown of intergenerational organizing. Um, you know, not all organizing methods are, are equally effective or helpful, um, but sometimes people end up reinventing the wheel simply because they're starting from scratch without any connection to previous attempts. So, you know, there are things, really important lessons about the, the vital importance of really democratic and accountable organizing, um, the importance of having that sense of proportion, uh, and 
uh, avoiding, I think, you know, there's a, a, a long history on the socialist left of trying to organize tiny or very small political organizations as if they were mass parties, but smaller, by like trying to kind of approximate. It's what, what some people call the micro party model of organization, where you take an organizational model, such as the one that was developed in the early years of the Communist International after the Russian Revolution, uh, which was in part, you know, in large part inspired by the, the Bolsheviks in Russia, and then try to kind of apply that model onto an organization of hundreds or fewer people. And I think then you, it's, it's a recipe for building a micro sect that has all sorts of problems. So yeah. knowing what not to do is really important that way. There's a long history of, of making that mistake. Yeah, if you do democratic centralism with like 10 people, that just means two people are controlling the entire group. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's it is a it's a it's a significant problem and it it's it's kind of a political intellectual laziness there because instead of trying to actually do a concrete analysis of the concrete situation and trying to think about what organizational methods and approaches will work in that situation, it's kind of a grabbing an off-the-shelf model. And saying because, you know, because those people did it that way, therefore it must be relevant in all times and places. And yeah. it becomes an obstacle to actually uh, moving from where we are to the next step. You're kind yeah. of LARPing or cosplaying <laughs> <laughs> revolutionary politics. Yeah. Uh, having, yeah, have, having uh, been through some of that myself, uh, it can be a very unpleasant negative experience yeah it's sort of like taking you know a boeing 747 and you know scaling it down exactly you know to you know just 10 inches long and expecting it to fly it's not going to fly precisely i wouldn't fly though with the aerodynamic scale i thought you were going to say you know if you're having a three-person plane taking a boeing and making it you know so three people <laughs> inside lying down um well, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't fly. I don't think the jet engines would work. No, probably not. <laughs> It'd be impossible to find the right screws. <laughs> All to fit. So do we have any last questions? I think we've been chatting for quite a while now. I guess I have one more. How do you, uh, where's the distinction between, uh, you know, a group that's laying the basis for a political organization and a political organization itself. Like, that's how do you? When a, do you cross the line? It's a that's a great question, uh, and it does uh, need to be. You know, co context matters there, but um, and if we're just talking about a group in one city, right? A, a local political organization. You know, that's different from what you might say if you're thinking about it on a on a on a broader scale. Yeah, uh, but you do have to make a, a judgment call about um, whether people actually do have clear common politics and enough experience putting them into practice, and if the core of the group is strong enough to be sustainable. Because uh, trying to actually move forward without that will just lead to stumbling and falling, uh, or to you know a very small number of people uh, trying to carry tasks that are too great for them. I mean, in Solidarity Winnipeg's case, we actually uh, started out, um, at one, one point, the group said it was going to build a political organization, and then pretty quickly 
realized that that was actually a mistake and that we needed to scale down and say, we're trying to lay the basis for a, a political organization. Um, but, you know, it's because it's not just about a certain number of people. It's about a combination of, you know, knowledge, experience working together and level of commitment. Um, all those things matter. Would you say it also has to do with like the relative level of struggle? Like it's easier to make a, uh, it's easier to have a political organization when the level of struggle is higher than when it's very low. Yeah, I think that's true because that affects the level of commitment because it's, you know, when you feel like you're actually in touch with forces that are moving, right. It can be energizing and, give people a greater willingness to put in more time and, and energy uh, and that can, can make a difference. So the fact that we're in a context with a very low level of social struggle uh, is important in understanding the, the work that we're trying to do as a, a modest project here in Winnipeg. <laughs>